I am your host, Jane Wilcox, and you are listening to Shaklesiology, Girls Talking Church. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. We are here together. Besides myself, Shaklesiology is Kim Who, Jennifer Johnson, Chris Ann Swartley. In today's pilot episode, we kick things off by asking ourselves three questions. These questions lay a foundation for the show, at least we hope they do. First, we talk about what motivates us as leaders, pastors, educators to use our voices to make sure more women are participating in conversations about and around the church. You will hear what we mean when we say that we love the church. We'll venture a little deeper, asking what breaks our hearts about the church today. And we finish up with a reflection on what it means that we've done well by our listeners, welcoming you into the larger community of women that we know loves the church along with us. Our hope is that you find a point of connection with us and with our show. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. Let's talk about that first question. One of the criteria I used, wittingly or not, was recruiting women who love the church. In retrospect, I think that must be essential, the essential ingredients, at least one of them, definitely the starting point uh, in such a project. So what does it mean to you that we are women who love the church? So I've been reading a book recently on each of the fruit of the spirit and the author talks about kind of defines the terms, especially terms like goodness, which are maybe a little bit more ambiguous or amorphous. Um, and then talks about, um, some practical ways, you know, that, that we can pursue that fruit and what it looks like in the life of the believer. And, um, this week I was reading the chapter on goodness and the author's conclusion was that, um, and I'm paraphrasing the entire chapter into a sentence here, but, but his, his ultimate conclusion was that we pursue goodness when we pursue the purpose for which we were created. And that we do that among other ways through confession of our sins to each other, hearing the word preached corporately, and then, um, seeking, uh, advice and insight and community in living out the word that we've heard. Well, if we want to grant that the author's premise is true, which it seems pretty solid to me, not that those are the only three ways that we grow, but those are three significant ways. You can't do any of those without the church. Now you can do it without a Sunday morning experience in a church building, but you cannot do it without the, the church that, um, that Jesus called us to be in terms of a community, a living body of believers. And so for me, there is a love of the church that is from 45 years of growing up in it and serving it like you all. And for eight of those years being married to a pastor and for 20 of those years working in uh, careers that directly or indirectly served Christian ministries. I mean, there's a lot of ways I, like you, have have lived that out and, and done sweat equity. But I think there's also um, just a realization that if we're going to be the people that Jesus wants us to be, there has to be some iteration of, of church in that we, we cannot, it's, I guess it's become a cliche to, to, for people to talk about how you can't, you can't be a Christian in isolation. Um, we have to have each other if we're going to 
allow the Holy Spirit to genuinely create us to be more who we're supposed to be. So I love the church because um, it lets us pursue what I see as God's calling for our lives. Yeah, if I can piggyback on that, um, my love for the church is in who we are together, that we cannot be apart from one another. Um, and so we're bound to one another. We're bound to Jesus and one another. Um, and it's thousands of years of common beliefs and practices and a mission and a vision of who we are as God's people in the world that I love. I think that's something that I have come to love about the church is that not just in my own backyard, Jersey suburban church, but being able to go across seas and lands into places where we don't share a common language, but when worship starts and like the name of Jesus is lifted high, none of that matters anymore. And you realize that this is not a man-made created thing. There could be no other explanation other than the fact that Jesus has started the church and he believes in it and loves it. And that's how it can have that kind of spread. It can have that kind of draw. And there's so many different stories that are done in different words and in different languages, but I resonated that I've experienced that kind of redemption. I've experienced love. I've experienced community. And to me, that is one of the most exciting things about church is that there is a potential not founded on people's, just our sweat equity, which is so important, but it's not just the sweat equity. It's the fact that Jesus has big dreams for the church and that we get to look, come along for the ride. Well, and I think if you look at the <clears throat> biblical narrative, God often chooses to deal with his people corporately. Now, certainly there are many, you know, you can make a whole Sunday school curriculum out of all of the individuals he deals with and the stories and, and the things that we learn from those, from those narratives. But God has always uh, called a people to himself, right? And I think our American focus on individualism and our individual relationship with Jesus in some ways is very positive in the sense that we, um, we do know that we don't, we can, we can connect with Jesus directly. And that's obviously, you know, that's, that's great. But I think we sometimes miss the fact that whether it's the Israelites traveling in the desert or whether it's the New Testament church, God's people are not just individual people, they are a people. And so we miss something if we choose to opt out of that experience. Part of what I actually love about the church is how messy it is. Um, this used to drive me crazy because I tend to be little bit type A, little OCD, maybe a little controlling. And I like things just so I'm an idealist. So in my younger years, it drove me nuts that the church wasn't more perfect, more holy, more right and good and just, and, you know, making the right decisions and doing and saying all the right things drove me batty. As I'm getting older, I love that the church is messy because I'm realizing more and more what a freaking mess I am. <laughs> and I love that this is how Jesus, I mean, how dumb and yet beautiful that Jesus trusts us with earthly ministry. <laughs> such a mess, such a broken person, but I'm invited in to be part of that communion of saints. It's, it's crazy to me, but it's beautiful and I love it. I remember being in seminary in PNs, 
he used this image of in in his home he was painting a particular bedroom i think it was his daughter's bedroom and his daughter came along and she was fairly young and she wanted to know if she could help paint uh and he used that illustration that's that's like god inviting us and welcoming us to participate with him in redeeming the world but the quality of our work is going to be pretty bad we're probably going to kick over the paint can we're not going to paint a straight line but he still invites us in to participate along with him. I think the fact that, I think the word that I'm centering around here as we're having this discussion is the persistence of the church. And that, and yet, despite of our mess and despite of people, the church has persisted. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that has come out of all of these world Christian history classes that I keep taking in seminary and that Jane keeps teaching. There were a lot of messy things that historically happened and that now we see both the benefits and the consequences and the church is better and it's messier and it's bigger, but yet the church is still here. And I think that is a fact that is, that cannot be sidestepped and it cannot be minimized that the church yet still persists. So in the church, there have uh, been many who are called faithful dissenters throughout history. They love the church, and because they love the church, they are compelled to call for change, call for reform, call for a correction when the church forgets its purpose or its mission. And aptly today, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was certainly a reformer in the church. Apt today because today is his birthday. Uh, it's a quote from MLK. I saw it posted today. It is taken from his letter from Birmingham jail. In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church, but be assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church. How could I do otherwise? So for you, what breaks your heart about the church today? I think for me, one of the prevailing themes as I am uh, still exploring my MDiv seminary education, to which I'm thankful for, is this, think this idea of who is my neighbor. And I feel like the idea of my neighbor has mainly stayed in the story of the Good Samaritan in Sunday school. And as I have become an adult who has grown in the church, who now serves the church, I feel like it's not a question that gets raised unless we're particularly going to preach on that passage. And for me, living in the city of Philadelphia, you cannot help but run up against dozens, if not hundreds of people on a short couple block walk. And so for me, I feel like that's a question that I wish that the church in general asked and that it asked it not based on uh, because someone was poking the church to ask it, but because God himself, like we've been talking about, desires an entire people. And how do we move from a, a church that just has people to a church that wants not just neighbors, but wants multitudes and generations? And so there's part of me that 
it's sad that it has taken a long time for me personally to start asking the question, who is my neighbor? Not because someone told me to ask the question, but because I know that this is a question that is that the church must ask of itself. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, I feel like we've fallen prey to the polarization, I guess would be the word of our culture right now that, so if you're not on the Christian right, if you're not politically conservative, then you are not, you are not my neighbor, essentially is what I feel like we often say that, oh, you're that kind of person. You're a liberal, you're uh, too progressive. So you're on the outs, you know, this is what it looks like to be a Christian in America. It means you vote a certain way. It means you believe certain things about economics, um, all of that. I, that breaks my heart and makes me angry all at the same time, because if we can't figure out how to love people, how to love our neighbors who are different from us in belief, not only the way they look or the way they speak, but different in political perspective, different in, um, economic philosophy, different in all of those ways, if we can't figure out how to even have a conversation, how could we hope to love them? That absolutely breaks my heart. Yeah. And even our neighbors across tradition. I have an ecumenical heart. I think that's probably the, the, the right way to say it. And so that means I have a deep affection for the Catholic Church, the small c Catholic Church, and all of its manifestations and diversity and uh, expressions, cultures across the globe. Um, but I also have a great affection for the capital C church, uh, the Catholic church. Um, and I say that even as uh, someone who is steeped in the evangelical tradition. But what breaks my heart, besides the visible disunity among us, uh, is that it's the judgment and stereotyping of Catholics by evangelicals. And likewise, for this is an example, it happens across all traditions, uh, and the judgment and stereotyping of um, evangelicals by Catholics. To the point where we have this inability to respect each other's theology and begin to understand why is someone else's interpretation of scripture and their tradition different than mine, but still a legitimate understanding of the scriptures. Uh, different ways we may uh, gather as a people and interpret and understand those traditions. Um, so that breaks my heart. Um, I think it's too easy to be triumphalist in our uh, approach or posture that my tradition is the right way. My tradition is the only one that holds the actual truth uh, or also be so quick to um, to judge our brothers and sisters in traditions uh, as heretics because they don't understand uh, the scriptures or interpret the gospel the way do we do. I've been fortunate enough to teach in, in the classroom where I have um, a variety of diversity of students from different Christian traditions as well as other religions. And I always try to make it the point to help them build that bridge uh, to another tradition, maybe even to another religion at times. In one of the classes that seminary classes that I've taught, I invited a Catholic convert that was an ex evangelical young guy to come in, sit in in our Zoom class. And um, the amazing thing in seeing that is to watch the walls fall 
in terms of the attitudes and the um, the misinformation that evangelicals hold about Catholics. Because here's this guy who loves Jesus. It was just oozing out of him through the Zoom call. He loves Jesus. He loves the scriptures. He bases everything he understands about Catholicism back into the scriptures. And it was frankly because in front of us all was this person who was living his, his faith um, genuinely, faithfully in a different tradition that we typically would have had uh, many qualms in terms of their, uh, their theology and their interpretations. One of the things that breaks my heart about the church right now is the lack of discipleship and the lack of biblical literacy, which are, of course, those two are related. I don't, by that, I don't mean that everybody has to get a degree in Bible or go to seminary, but I think that we, for, for a long time, have not served our local church communities as well as we could in terms of teaching them beyond the catchy sermon series with the, the, the three points. There's a time and place for that. There's a, you know, all of it can serve Jesus, but I think there is also a real time and place for reading the entire narrative of scripture as the story of God to us and applying that as, as the people of God, I guess I'm sensing a theme in my own remarks here, but if we cannot understand the entirety of what God has revealed to us in his word, and we can't grapple with what it means for our lives. And we don't have the depth if it's, if it's a shallow, and I don't say that directed toward any one or any church, but just as a, as a observation, um, I think some of these other issues would perhaps be less pervasive or, or less common because we would all be doing the deeper work of trying to, um, allow the Holy spirit to transform and change us. And we wouldn't be so, so sidetracked by the actual things we've been discipled by. We've been discipled by the news. We've been discipled by music. We've been discipled by politics, whatever it is, regardless of your position on those, I'm not even taking a position on that. I'm just saying, those are the things that we're allowing to shape and form us instead of, um, the word of God. And I don't know, you've got people who spend one, maybe two hours a week in church. And that's generous because the average church going now goes once or twice a month, maybe. So let's just say that they spend two hours a month in church. Well, they're spending two plus hours a day, listening to podcasts, watching TV, um, watching the news. So I'm not sure what all the solutions for that are because, I don't, I don't think the solution is that all of us sit in catechism class and study um, the original Greek texts for 12 hours a day, but I do think that we need a more intentional value for discipleship and a more effective method for helping our people grow in, in what they say that they believe and helping them grapple with how that affects their life. And I think as I am so privileged to be able to have a seminary education now, I think about that very frequently about how it's great that I'm having a grand old time in seminary and I'm allowing scripture to transform me, but what am I going to do with it? And am I going to make good, not just on the money it costs to go to seminary, but am I going to make good on the investment of like this education that I'm receiving? And and it's not even like, oh, like I'm going to be a great preacher. I mean, I hope for that one day too. But I think that's why um, I love the idea of talking about why do you love the church and just the fact that we're having this conversation and to realize that not everyone gets to have this conversation. Not everyone is talking about and nerding out in their own way and their own social circles over their own scrambled eggs and toast about why they love the church or the things that that's on their minds. Um, I 
feel a little bit sorry for the people who see me right after I have class because I can't not talk about how I, my mind is blown about oh wow like Jeremiah went through all of that or like that's what trauma could do to a pupil in biblical times and so they're kind of held captive by me for about 15 minutes or until I feel the need to come up for air but I think it was great with Jen's point that what are who are we letting disciple us and are we just as people as part of the church in our conversation rolling in those thoughts um, and are we making spaces just to have our own conversations? So I, I brought this out as one of the things that I found as a struggle. So let me offer, and then I said, I didn't have any solutions for it. But as Kim was talking, I, I flashed back to an experience that I had that was actually very helpful and very simple, which might provide at least a practical example of what I'm talking about. The only real Bible study that I've ever been part of that was super transformational and helpful to me was when I was in my early twenties and I joined a group of about 15 other women from my church and we covenanted together to read the entire Bible through in a year, which is not in itself a radical thing. Many people read the Bible either together or with a group uh, throughout the year, but it was such a life-giving and life-changing experience because we met every Monday night, seven to nine, all year long, no summers off. If you have to miss, miss, it's fine. We'll be here. We'll have tea. It was women from 22 to 72. It was every stage of spiritual journey. It was multiple uh, skin colors. It was multiple uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, it was a safe space uh, because it was okay to say, uh, I don't understand anything that's happening in the book of Ezekiel. And somebody else would say, I don't either. And somebody else would say, well, I read it all. And I think it said this. And somebody else would say, well, I don't think it said that at all. And it was so, and, and it didn't matter. It wasn't about being right or wrong. It was about exploring the text together in, in an honest way and bringing who you were to the text and allowing other people to speak into it. So that's a really long explanation of one snapshot moment in my life, but it was so transformative that one of the other women in the group went on to write a guidebook to help other groups do the same thing and to maybe capture and experience what we had captured together in that, in that little house with our hot tea. And I, I, so I say all that to say, I don't think it has to be this huge, it can be a huge church-wide program. You know, a few years ago, it was really trendy to do the story and there was like a whole 52 week sermon series and there was CDs and Nicole Nordeman wrote the soundtrack and that's great, but I don't think it has to be that. I think it can be a group of people deciding that they want to go deeper. Yeah, I'm all about that. Actually, I think we need to do away with sermons and move to that sort of approach, but that's a, that's a different episode. I think the challenges that we have today in reading scripture and ultimately discipleship doesn't start with us reading scripture, but it's about having a hermeneutic. So this overarching lens through which we are reading those scriptures, otherwise we have people coming to the text and saying it means something that Jesus would never have said. Uh, um, and so I don't even know where to begin. I only see that as a very long drawn out process like you described jen of a group of people gathering over a long period of time searching the scriptures together they begin to see this common uh interpretive lens through which you're reading the scriptures together and in that way there's almost a check and balance in how someone is reading and interpreting a particular verse or a chapter or whatever i yeah I and for me it starts with the gospel right the basic misunderstanding of the gospel which drives me 
batty basic misunderstanding of the gospel that it's my ticket to heaven that I keep in my back pocket and basically the rest of life just goes on as it did, but, but I'm good because I've got my ticket to heaven in my back pocket. Um, and this earth is going to be destroyed. So this earth doesn't matter, but you know, we're all going to meet in the sky in heaven and there's a rapture and all of this. And every time I get in the pulpit, I have to say this again, the gospel is about the kingdom of heaven. Now the reign of God now between us and our neighbors and between us and God, it's the reign of God here and now, and it will come to fruition at the end of the age, but who knows when that's going to happen. And by the way, heaven and earth meet and all things are made new. <laughs> just like, I just, oh, I want to fix it so bad. <laughs> so I don't know if that's break my heart or it just ticks me off, but there it is. I recently had to come to terms with this and, uh, not that I, not that I didn't know it somewhere in my heart, but I didn't have the words to describe what Chris Ann just described that there is a problem, um, in the start, start, like the starting point of the gospel and, uh, Scott McKnight puts it in his book, the King Jesus gospel and how there's a difference between a gospel culture and a salvation culture. There is a difference between getting people to make a decision about whether or not they believe in Jesus and a decision to live a life as a disciple. And we talking about us in the American Western evangelical church like decisions, but yet when we, our churches struggle then to make disciples and it's because we haven't presented discipleship, we have presented decision-making. We are in this project, this podcast, to partner with God in God's work in the world uh, and his redemption, which is ministry in general. I mean, that's why we do it. We do want to be successful and faithful in this little corner of the world that God has given us. And we all want to do uh, well by our listeners. So for you, what does a wildly successful episode of Shaklesiology accomplished for our listeners? My hope, I think, is uh, like it's a combination of all the reasons why we love the church. We talked about um, like why we love it, but also the mess. And so I think for me, what I hope is after every episode that our listeners would feel like they know and have been seen and they know that we recognize the mess too. Uh, and it's there and we see it, we acknowledge it, we can grieve it and we can talk about it uh, in a way that's like real, um, that was not just tidied up for, um, you know, a 45 minute podcast episode, but that there's someone out there that knows and hears it. Um, but yet, but yet we are still moved and we still have hope and that we would still love the church despite the mess. And not saying that this is gonna be the cure-all, uh, at the end of 45 minutes, that this is the magic pill, and all of a sudden, all of our qualms about the church will disappear. But that's what I hope happens. I hope that there is um, a being seen after listening. There's a being seen, but there is a hope to keep moving forward. In addition to what Kim just said so well, that they would then feel motivated 
and encouraged and supported to take one step because of what they've they've heard. Uh, maybe not every person, every episode, that's a lot of steps. Uh, but, you know, it, I listen to a lot of podcasts for entertainment and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I would hope that this one would nudge people, okay, what am I doing about discipleship? Or how am I answering the question of who is my neighbor? How do I really, like, I need to sit with that question and, and come up with an answer for that. Or I need to ask my leadership team to sit with that question, whatever it is in, in everyone's context. But that there would be um, a little bit of, of an unrest until the person who's listening has um, grappled with that week's topic and, and how they can apply it. And again, I don't, I don't expect that, uh, that that's going to hit everybody or that it's going to land the same way for everybody every time. But I would hope that there would be an encouragement to take action because of what we've talked about here. I hope that for myself. Uh, what came to me this week was new imagination that I think there's a, is synergy the right word? I think there's a synergy that happens when, when folks like us get together um, and a unique synergy when women get together and talk about these things and wrestle with them. And I really, for me, if the people listening walk away with a new imagination for what's possible, a different perspective for what's possible and an energy for it, that would be a huge win. I think one of my objectives is that our approach to our topics, uh, we are able to come with it with a sober mind. I love that image in scripture, by the way. Um, so it's nuanced, it's thoughtful, it's helpful, it's fruitful, uh, and it doesn't come out of a um, knee-jerk re response to some of the more difficult issues in the church today. The other thing, as you all have been saying, is that we can connect with women, that they feel welcomed, that they feel included, that they feel visible, like we see you, we hear you, we stand in solidarity with you, uh, we have been there, we have felt that, and that there is certainly a place uh, for you to serve with all of your giftedness uh, exactly um, as you are with your voice. I would hope that our listeners um, are encouraged to take these brave steps of being the initiators, being the leaders, um, being the first person at the table, but also inviting many other women, uh, insisting upon that it's not just them at the table, that they're not gonna show up unless half of them are women. Um, so yeah, that's my hope as well leading up to this podcast, before I even knew who Jane was, I had a woman who I was praying with her on a Friday morning and completely unprompted. She was just sharing how it has made such a big difference in her church experience just to see me and just one other woman who we don't preach on Sunday. At most, we give announcements and we say prayers. And maybe every once in a while, we'll talk on a Friday night. And she said to me, I'm so glad to see you because I was wondering and starting to question whether or not women belonged in church. And so I think one of my greatest hopes is that whoever's listening to this, like no woman ever has to ask themselves that question ever again. And on a slightly lighter side, I don't know if we've gotten there quite yet, but I hope that our listeners will also hear 
um, we have a lot of really good laughs and it's actually really fun to nerd out about church and it's a really, really good time. Hey, thanks for being a part of our listening community at Shaklesiology. Tune in to our March episode when it will be two years since the outbreak of the coronavirus in the U.S. We will tackle the question, did the church do its part in the midst of a pandemic? We would love to hear your ideas for future podcast topics. What do you think are the pressing issues facing the church today that women need to be talking about? You can send your topics to ideas at girlstalkingchurch.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, oh.